and welcome back to It Is Well, where we explore the gospel and how it applies to our everyday lives. I'm your host, Carissa Nisley, and today I have the great pleasure of talking with one of my very good friends, Jacob Beckwith. I just really admire Jacob for his faith, for his love of the Lord, and for his understanding of Scripture. We are going to jump right into Psalm 22, and he has just really, really good things to say about it. So let's just get right into it. All right. So Jacob is a stylish fellow. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> he he has a fun wardrobe with lots of different options and different colors, I would say. And he's come a long way, but last year... There were some times when I would just look at him and he'll have like a navy blue shirt with navy blue bottoms or just some different like yellow com- like color combinations. And and I would just look at him and be like, what are you doing? Like, <laughs> and then I would, you know, just kind of pick on him for it um, and make fun of him. Quite a bit, actually. Basically, she just say, what are you wearing? And then I would realize, oh, I probably shouldn't try to match these two things that don't go together at all. <laughs> yeah. And it happened quite a few times. And probably 75% of the way into last year, I was like, you know what? Maybe I'm being mean to Jacob right now. And I maybe I should go a little bit easier on him because... I don't want to hurt his feelings. And so I remember just like telling him, I'm like, you know, Jacob, like really it's not that bad, but you know that I just like am comfortable around you and you're one of my really good friends because I'm able to make fun of you because I don't do that to everyone. And um, So you have me on this podcast because you feel bad? Is, is that what this <laughs> no, is? No, I was going to say, Jacob is an example of Jesus in that he is forgiving and he is merciful to me, even though I am so mean to him sometimes. <laughs> so we can all just look up to Jacob for his forgiveness. Just don't look at my uh, style, style choices. That's <laughs> what she's trying to say. Yeah, so we can learn from style choices, but then also, you know. But we can't learn from the style choices. <laughs> yeah, we learn what not to yeah, do. There we what go. Not to there we do. go. <laughs> anyway. Welcome on, Jacob. I'm Thank glad you. that you're here. Today, we are going to talk about Psalms 22. Um, I don't know how it came up in conversation. I think you approached me and you were like, hey, if you ever want a guest on your show sometime, like, let me know. And so <clears throat> it was a couple months after that. And I'm like, you know what, Jacob? Like, actually, I would love to have you on if there's something that you are really passionate about. I love to talk about it and we can discuss it. And all of a sudden, he I think it was like right then and there, he was like Psalm 22. Yep. And I was like, all right. So I think the next day I read it in my devotions. I'm like, you know, this is great. Like, let's do it. And here we are. So Jacob, tell me why is Psalm 22, so significant to you. How did you become so passionate about it? And what led you to study it? Yeah, well, I'll start by just throwing a question right back at you. Is there is there anything in the crucifixion story that maybe caught you off guard that you didn't expect that seems like it doesn't really fit in the narrative uh, and that you've had questions about? You know, Jesus's death on the cross is part of God's like ultimate and eternal plan of salvation for us. And I think that Jesus obviously would have known that. 
And so like, this is like God's plan of salvation taking place. Like Jesus is receiving the wrath of God for us. And he's an intercessor for us, atoning for our sins. And so I'm thinking about this and, um, Obviously, Jesus says it is finished at the end, and that is beautiful because we know that it's done. But right before that, Jesus cries out to the Lord. He goes, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Christ is the perfect lamb on the cross fulfilling God's plan. So it just seems strange to me that he would cry out such a thing because obviously he knows what's going on. He's both 100% God and 100% man. And so it just makes me scratch my head. Like, why is he saying this? What is the purpose of him saying this? And why is it significant, especially? Right. And, and these are all the questions I was asking. Uh, you know, I would, I would hear these this passage in a sermon, uh, or I would, I would hear about it in Bible study. And those are exactly the questions I would ask myself, because it definitely seemed like you know, Jesus knows what's going on. He can he can explain it. He doesn't need to just cry that out because he has the bigger picture and we exactly. don't. And so uh, every time he, I would read that passage, it would, it would confuse me. Um, so I, I decided I wanted to study it. I wanted to look into it. And that's what led to Psalm 22 because that specific phrase, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, is actually the first line of Psalm 22. And so when Jesus cries that out, Yes, it's the humanity in him. It's the 100% humanity and 100% God, but 100% humanity crying out there, bearing all of our sin and saying, why, God, have you forsaken me? Why am I separated from you in this moment? The, the Hebrew tradition uh, of reciting the first line of a psalm, it invokes the rest of the psalm. And so in the synagogues, when the rabbi would read the first line of a psalm, the response would be for the rest of the congregation to then join him in reading the rest of that psalm. And so this, this seems to be what Jesus is, is doing in a sense by saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There's multiple elements to it. Yes, he's bearing the humanity uh, and the sin uh, uh, for all of us, but also he's calling us towards Psalm 22. And so when I eventually did that and read Psalm 22 for myself, I realized all the parallels, all the, all the prophecies that were made by David in just that one psalm and then the victorious finish of that psalm. Because in the end, Jesus completes the mission. He completes what God sent him to do. And it's just that joyous, victorious ending to the psalm that brings everything together for me. And it makes so much more sense why Jesus would cry that out on the cross. I think it's really important to realize we're tying the Old Testament and the New Testament together. It's important to point out the, the heresy of separating the two, right? Some people like to think of the Old Testament as archaic and not relevant to our lives. And the New Testament is the only thing that needs our attention at the moment. Um, and that's a heresy that goes all the way back to the second century. It, it's actually called Marcionism. It's named after the heretic Marcion of Sinop. Uh, but basically he taught that the Old Testament was one God and the New Testament was a different God, right? So Jesus and the Old Testament God, whatever he named that deity, were completely separate. Maybe they worked together, but they weren't one God. Psalm 22 is just a, a great example of how wrong Marcion gets that because these two books are linked in so many different ways. Yeah, I think we can take great comfort from the fact that our God does not change, that he is not a different God in the Old Testament than he is in the New Testament, but that he's changeless and he is eternal. And we can lean on him knowing that no matter what, he is, his character, his nature, who he is, is never going to change. And then also... I think it's super cool that we can look at the Bible as a whole picture 
like you just said, it's not two halves put together and that you can study separately, but that the entirety of the Bible, which is the breathed out word of God, speaks one story, one singular story of Jesus Christ um, and the gospel. So let's study one really good example of how that's true. Let's just start with, with pointing out the parallelism because, yes, Jesus recites that first verse, that first line of Psalm 22. But then there's so many other verses in Psalm 22 that are prophecies of what happens in that crucifixion story. So actually, if, if you want to turn to Matthew, I'll keep Psalm 22 open. If you turn to Matthew 27, what I'll do is I'll read a verse from Psalm 22, and then you read the, the verse that parallels it in Matthew. All right, sounds good. Let's start with, let's start with verse 7. So Psalm 22 is, is setting the scene here. It's talking about a man who is scorned by all people, by all mankind, despised by them, all the, who see him mock him. And so we can start with that verse, verse 7, which reads, All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. And that parallels Matthew 27, verse 39. All right. Matthew 27, 39 says, And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. And then the next verse, Psalm 22, verse 8 says, He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Matthew 27, verse 43 says, He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the Son of God. And the final example I'll point to is verse 18 of Psalm 22, which reads, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Matthew 27, verse 35 says, and when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. And so there's just such a clear parallel, the exact same use of the words, even phrases, because you can see in Matthew that how the story goes and, and how it's recorded by Matthew is just as it was predicted by David in Psalm 22, which is just beautiful to look at. Yeah. And it's not the first time we see this. this is, mm -hmm. We see this all the time in Isaiah. There's other times we see this in the Psalms and, and other parts of the Old Testament. But this is just such a clear example. And it's comforting because it's just a, it's a reminder that Jesus didn't just make up the narrative or, or, or do something that was completely unexpected. And the Pharisees, the, the scholars of that day, had read their Old Testaments. They knew their Old Testaments. Right. They, they, know them way better than, they knew them way better than we will ever know them right. because that was their life to study the Old Testament. And so... As those prophecies were fulfilled, they were realizing that and realizing, uh-oh, this guy's important. Mm -hmm. This guy is the Messiah. This guy is fulfilling all these prophecies. I just will throw this at you, and we don't have to talk about this yet. Why do you think, if they had read these and they had studied these, why were they in such a denial about like who Jesus was? There's there's so many elements to that, and and it's a question that, People constantly ask because if anyone would know when the Messiah comes, then it would be the Pharisees, right? Because right. they know all the prophecies. I think a huge, huge part of it is they had built up in their heads this idea of a conquering hero, someone who mm. rides in Jerusalem and wins the city back for the Jewish people, mm -hmm. right? Because they were under the control of the Romans at that time, and it was an oppressive control. And so they felt persecuted, and they wanted someone to free them. And the Maccabees gave them like kind of a sense of that for a little bit. Uh, there was there was control of the, of the city temporarily, but it didn't last. But they had their taste of it, and they wanted more. And mm -hmm. so they took all these prophecies of Jesus and tacked onto it this idea of a conquering hero riding into the city. Mm -hmm. And Jesus wasn't that. You know, Jesus was born in a manger. Right. Jesus was a carpenter, and he wasn't someone who was going to ride into the city 
and win it with a sword. He was going to win it with the word of God. And so mm. they, they didn't expect that. And their immediate response was to call everything that he was doing heretical. Um, right. But I think that's the biggest reason initially why mm -hmm. they rejected Jesus. Yeah. And that makes sense. So, so looking back at Psalm 22, we, we kind of looked at a couple of the comparisons between chapter 27 of Matthew and, and chapter 22 of Psalms. A couple other things I love to point out when I look at this passage and I'm talking about it with other people. Take, for example, verse 14. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. Take that with verse 17 as well, which says, I can count all my bones. So the picture that's being drawn here is a man who is a man who doesn't have any of his bones broken, but he's in a place of extreme suffering. He's poured out like water. It reminds me of the account of the spear being thrown into the side of Jesus, stabbed into the side of Jesus. And instead of blood coming out of him, it was water because he had died. And so that's the story that's being drawn in Psalm 22. That's the picture that's being drawn in Psalm 22. I am poured out like water. And yet he still can count all his bones. No bone was broken on the cross. Or, or verse 16, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I don't think you could get much clearer than that. Right. And it just blows my mind that David is writing Psalm 22 and describing all of these characteristics of the crucifixion when the crucifixion hadn't even been invented yet. Crucifixion, a man dying on a cross, a man dying by being nailed to two pieces of mm -hmm. wood, which is then put up in a cross shape that had not been invented. That was invented in second century BC. Mm. So that was invented by the Romans and did not exist at the time of the writing of Psalm 22. And yet it's perfectly described in these verses. So, and, and that's why you don't see the word crucifixion. <clears throat> Verse 16 doesn't say they crucified him. It says they have pierced my hands and feet because it had not been invented yet. And the first instance we see of it in history that's recorded is second century BC. Wow. And yet David knew. That's crazy. It kind of points to like the inerrancy of the word too. Right. Like that was not David. Right. Like. There's no way that like that would have come out of David's mouth or that David would have written that down just solely by himself. It really shows that this scripture is God breathed and that we find truth like this is truth at its very core. And so how cool is that? So cool. Yeah. So cool. It's so just it's so comforting too, as you read scripture, how it all connects, how so many authors over the course of so many centuries can write a book that does not contradict itself. And not right. only that does not contradict history. Right. The thousands upon thousands of archaeological digs that have been done, that have un uncovered countless artifacts from these times that are written about in the, in the Bible. And yet none of those discoveries are contradicting the story that is told in Scripture. That's so true. I want to like point us to, like you said, the end of Psalm 22. Yes, I was just about to say that. It's, it's such an exciting way to end, or it's such a joyous way to end a really sad psalm, a really depressing psalm. Jesus is crying out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then we read the verses that he points us to in Psalm 22, which perfectly describe the horrendous things that are being done to him. Right. And we get through all of that, and we get to verse 21, and it shifts. Verse 21 reads, save me from the mouth of the lion. And then it says, you have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. And it goes on in this 
completely different tone, this victorious tone, mm-hmm. this joyous tone. Why? Because the act is completed. The mm-hmm. job is finished. It ends in, with verse 31. That's the last verse of Psalm 22. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. So the first part of that, come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. Who's that? It's us. It's us. It's, it's literally it's, us. It's you and me, a people yet unborn, that he has done it, that he has finished. He has taken everything, all of our sin, taken it with him onto the cross and completed that act for us. Amen. For a people yet unborn. And it's such a, it's such a comforting finish to the psalm, right. such a joyous finish to the psalm. And I think it's something to celebrate and to thank God and to praise God for, because this, this is the, the, the absolute worst you can do to humanity, humanity at that time, mm. put them on a cross. Mm-hmm. And yet we can take that and have hope mm. and have a joyous completion to the story because mm-hmm. Jesus has completed the act for us on the cross. Mm-hmm. And so that's the exciting finish. And that's mm-hmm. why I love how Psalm 22 works because I can bring people as we're reading this passage together to that finish. Yeah. And we can celebrate that together. Yeah. This is just like a beautiful story and just like a different way to look at the gospel. We deserved to go to hell and like we deserve to actually like you were saying be up on that cross suffering the punishment for our sins and so we can like take great great joy from the fact that Christ did that for us and then we see all of the things that he had to endure and it just it's heartbreaking to me to like really begin to comprehend and understand that and this is what the beginning of Psalm 22 points out and then we get to the second half and then we have no choice but to praise him because how good is our God and how good is Jesus to die on the cross for us. It says he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. Mm. Christ took that on. Mm-hmm. I, I'm i just in awe. Mm-hmm. And like it goes to speak to what the gospel does in our lives, which is transform it because now we just like are so grateful And we want to begin a relationship with Christ and God. We want to know them more. We want to read their word. Right. And it's a process of sanctification that we are like slowly being made more and more like Jesus. Right. Um, I think that's the ultimate encouragement, right? Yeah. The more we dive into the word, Mm -hmm. the more, I think the more amazed we will all become because Mm -hmm. God's written word is how he speaks to his people. Mm -hmm. And by reading those words, we will be drawn closer to him. That is the ultimate, that it's always going to be the result of reading his word. We'll be drawing closer to him. So we can take the most profound, the most mysterious words on the cross of Jesus. Why is he saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we can study that and we can realize there's so much more to that than we could have ever imagined. And it leads us to Psalm 22. And yes, it brings us through those verses of despair, but it leads to that joyous finish. Mm-hmm. And that's the ultimate result of Jesus on the cross. And that's the hope we can have in him. And so that idea of studying scripture, because we can slowly and slowly fill out the picture of what Jesus does for us and the story that he writes and the opportunity we have in him. It's so exciting. And that's the gospel. That's the gospel message How right there. How good is that? Amazing. I love it. Well, thank you so, so much, Jacob. I appreciate your time for coming on here and I appreciate just your wisdom and being able to expound on this scripture and point us all back to the gospel. 
so we can continue to remind ourselves of it and then further talking about how we can apply that to our lives. So thank you so much, Jacob. Yeah, of course. Loved coming on. Love what you're doing with this podcast. So keep it up, Carissa. And uh, I'm going to go uh, change my shoes because they don't match. So thanks <laughs> for letting me know. Good. <laughs> wow, that is so, so good. It is absolutely and abundantly clear to see the parallels between these two pieces of scripture. On one hand, we have David crying out to his father. And on the other hand, we have Jesus crying out to his as well. Just as Jacob mentioned, Christ didn't come as a conquering hero. He came as the lowliest of the lows. Christ experienced life just as any of us would. And so we can take great comfort from the fact that we lean on someone who has experienced the human life and what it means to be human. And then, y'all, I'm just so grateful because the story that was told today is that God took the worst thing, death on a cross, and he transformed it into something beautiful. And, y'all, we can take so much hope and so much assurance in that story In Psalm 22, in the story of Jesus' death and then resurrection, because that same God is in complete control of our lives as well. Thank you so much for tuning in to It Is Well on Radio Free Hillsdale, 101.7 FM. I'm your host, Chris Nisley. You can tune in back here next week or on RadioFreeHillsdale.com to learn more about the gospel and how it affects our everyday lives.